Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Our gospel reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If another member of the church sins against you, go, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have retained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen to even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of this day. And as the sunshine pours in here, we pray that your spirit would pour in on us as well, nourishing us, sustaining us for the life to which you've called us. We pray that you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds, that they'd be acceptable in your sight. We ask in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're continuing this week in our uh, Back to Basics series. I, I just remind you that there are uh, some uh, sermon notes on the back table, if you like. Um, and also, we will not be getting together tomorrow evening, but we'll pick that up again the next week, a sort of drop-in conversation if you're interested in that on Zoom. Just watch for the emails. If you don't get the emails, please talk to me. <laughs> but for now, we are uh, continuing on in our Back to Basics series this week. We're between now and Advent, we are uh, spending time in the lectionary texts from Matthew's Gospel, uh, leaning into the fact that he wrote these not just to tell folks about Jesus, but to form communities in the way of Jesus. Right? This is about formation, not just information. I think it's also a good time of year to consider the scriptures through this kind of lens um, <clears throat> because of the season that we're in. Not just the, the new school year, but the season after Pentecost. Right? For the first half of the year, uh, we, we think about, uh, or we pay attention to the, the life of Jesus, right? From the beginning of Advent to his birth and the ministry of Jesus, uh, his miracles and healings and uh, all the things that he did and taught. And then we get to Easter and, and Holy Week and Easter, rather, and so uh, crucifixion and resurrection and all the way to ascension. And then we spend the rest of the year trying to figure out what the heck to do with all of that. <laughs> right? Like, how, how do we live uh, the, um, the things that we know in Christ? What does it mean to live in a world in which Jesus Christ is raised from the dead? And not only raised from the dead, but seated on the throne of the universe and continuing in and through his people to work out the salvation of the world. These are huge theological claims, <laughs> outrageous ideas. 
At the end of the day, I think it's a mind-bending reality that that's what we're caught up in. And yet it's the reality that the church has always been called to live in. You know, the church in all of its weird little local expressions is meant to bear witness to the fact that the way of Jesus is not only good news for the world, but it's also a glimpse of the world as God is continuing to make it. And with that in mind, I want to, I want to start this week kind of where we finished last week in, in the book of Acts, uh, the story of the early church. Now, of course, in the narrative arc of things, uh, what we read in the book of Acts comes after uh, what we read in today's passage from Matthew. But historically, the stuff that happened in the book of Acts happened decades before Matthew ever put ink, uh, uh, quill to parchment. And so I'm, I'm assuming that uh, something like what we see in Acts is what Matthew is imagining as he gives shape to Jesus' teaching. So this is Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. So those who welcomed the gospel were baptized, and about 3,000, uh, in that day, about 3,000 persons were added. <laughs> there may be some creative nonfiction going on here, but it was a big day for First Church Jerusalem. <laughs> right? 3,000 persons were added. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship and breaking of bread, and the prayers. That's kind of how we organize our worship, right? And awe and wonder came upon everyone because of the many wonders and signs that were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. This might be the biggest miracle. They'd sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as had any need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread and ate at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That, or something like it, I think is what Matthew has in mind. It's what Jesus has in mind for his church. A community of mutual, mutuality and vulnerability and flourishing. That, that's today's basic idea, Christian community. The church is to be a group of people that are bound together in hope that upends the current order of things. The church is to be a people bound together in, to one another in a hope that upends the current order of things. People embodying a new way of being in the world together that's rooted deep in the ways and means of Jesus. And for a variety of reasons, and long before we showed up this morning, the church has often gone off in various other directions. <laughs> Right? Not everywhere and always, in every generation, there have been people committed to living nothing less than the way and uh, way and will of Jesus. But I think it's fair to say that the idea that a lot of folks are familiar with of the church, you know, what most of our neighbors have traded in for brunch or a little extra sleep or uh, you know, a chance to catch up on chores, doesn't look a whole lot like Acts 2. I mean, if we come regularly and we're part of it, we might glimpse it occasionally. I hope we do. I do. But the holy circus that is the book of Acts might seem a long way from most people's experience of the church. Fair enough? <laughs> and yet I think people are just as hungry for that kind of experience now as they were 2,000 years ago. Like We want awe and wonder at God's new creation. I mean, honestly, I think one of the miracles of the church in our context is that anybody shows up at all. <laughs> right? Like We could be doing anything else and our neighbors would not bat an eye. But here we are. And in my heart of hearts, I am convinced that we're here because we yearn for the promise of the gospel. 
Because we want it to be as true in our lives as it was in theirs. It's my basic conviction that we're gathered here by the Holy Spirit who has made a claim on our lives and called us to be as we're made to be, to be light and salt in the world, as Jesus says back in the Sermon on the Mount. People adding holy flavor to a sin-bland world, lighting the way to another possibility instead of just you know, yelling at the shadows or sitting hopelessly in the dark. And I also believe it's true that we can't do this on our own. Right? We need communities of mutuality and of vulnerability. We need to know that we're not called or able or meant to change the world on our own. And regardless of what the advertisers or influencers say, a life consumed with self-improvement and self-indulgence and self-focus is, is terribly <laughs> depressing at the end of things and ultimately boring. Like, I'm just not that interesting. Now, Kate and I are watching this uh, series on Netflix called Abstract, uh, The Art of Design. And that may not sound all that interesting to you, but I can't recommend this highly enough. Uh, we've only seen a couple of episodes, so it could go downhill, but so far it's awesome. <laughs> because the people it follows are, are, are incredible. They're, they're, they're just fascinating. One is this artist named Olafur Eliasson. Uh, he, he creates these incredible immersive experiences, often on a massive scale, that are meant to kind of change your perception of the world. Another is a scientist named Neri Oxman who runs the art lab at MIT. And the, her vision is, is not only uh, um, changing, but it's creating the future of technology in ways that are, are wildly hopeful and adventurous. And both of these people are unquestionably brilliant. But I think what makes them especially brilliant and, and effective, able to bring their... Uh, Vision to life, lots of people are plenty smart enough. Not everybody manages to figure out how to get what's in their head out, right? What makes them brilliant is their absolute insistence on collaboration. These astonishing minds are under no uh, delusion that they are at the center of their work. They cannot bring their vision to life without others. They need the vision and the skills, the creativity and capacity and the co-laboring of others in order to do the things that they do. And, you know, as I watch the show, I, I'm not particularly called to take up scientific research or create massive art exhibitions, uh, but I do come to wonder what the church would look like, right? What, if we, what it would look like if we embodied what we believe with the kind of imaginative and expansive and co-creative life that Olafur Eliasson and Neri Oxman do. If we let the Holy Spirit lead us beyond our, our normal expectations, I think it would look something like Acts 2. I mean, not that our goal should be to imitate the early church, but we are perfectly free in our time and place to live in ways that embody the hope that is ours. Right? To bear witness to the fact that we live in a world in which Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and that his way is the way that leads to transformation and new possibilities, and life, and life to the full. Right? We get to take uh, we get life in the will and way of Jesus with, with cosmic seriousness. Right? Allowing our whole selves, heart, soul, mind, and strength to be caught up in God's redeeming and restoring work in our communities, in our work, in our homes, in the world. We get to do that. And we get to do it together. And the only problem with that is that life together is hard. 
You know, as I watch this show, I'm, I'm kind of keenly aware that no one ever seems to have a bad day. <laughs> you know, the, the, any harshness or anger, any unkindness or ungraciousness, it's all out of the doubt. And I don't believe that there's never an argument in Oliver Eliasson's uh, art studio. There's never a harsh word uttered in Nary Oxman's lab. I don't believe it because wherever two or three are gathered, <laughs> sin, is bound to, uh, sin is bound to arise. The breakdown of relationships, the, the primary symptom of sin is unavoidable. And it's every bit as unavoidable in the church. Right? One of the things that discourages a lot of people who come to the church looking for community is they get here and they discover that we're just like everybody else. <laughs> right? As Eugene Peterson puts it, the, the trouble with churches is that they're full of sinners and to make matters worse, they have sinners for pastors. And I think one of the hopeful things about this, today's passage is that Jesus doesn't seem to expect anything else, anything otherwise. Like he is wide-eyed about us. He knows us. <laughs> The church is a place where sin is going to happen. It is not a magical land where everybody is perfect and invariably pleasant. It is less of a spiritual retreat for the healthy than a, a, a hospital for the sick. It's a place where we get to be known and loved not only at our best but at our worst. It's a place where you do not have to have everything together in order to be here. You don't even have to pretend. And even though we sometimes forget that, fortunately, Jesus doesn't. He says, if somebody sins, which is really more like when somebody sins against you, right? When somebody sins against you, go to that person in private and let them know. Go in humility and vulnerability and mutuality and let them know. And before we go any further, I want to say very clearly, this is not just about being vindicated, right? This is not about saying our peace. It's certainly not about conforming others to the image of what we think they should be. Right? I had a friend who recently got an email criticizing the way that she was dressed at church because it didn't conform to her critics' uh, cultural expectations of what is appropriate. Right? This is not that. Right? Rest assured that uh, Jesus is mostly indifferent to how you dress for church. <laughs> this is about when there's something relational at stake. And I want to be the first to admit that I am not the best at this. I prefer passive aggression and stewing in my hurts, <laughs> rehearsing my vindictiveness, uh, than something more direct. Right? Your pastor is a sinner, I hate, to tell <laughs> I hate to tell you. But I also know that that approach never like, does anything but mire me and others in sin. Right? Failure to address issues only serves to bind and weigh us down. It keeps us from living in the fullness that Jesus longs for us. And this is an important point. This really is about like us. Right? Jesus assumes that how I am in the world doesn't just have to do with me. Right? We are not made for individualism. From the get-go, God's determination is that it is not good for us to be alone. We need each other. We can't be fully ourselves without others. We certainly can't do what Jesus says, to love God and our neighbors with everything we've got if we imagine that we're only responsible for ourselves and maybe those closest to us. And the trouble is that most of us spend most of our time in cultural contexts that don't really incline us towards mutual accountability to one another. Right? Often not even in the church. I remember the, the first time uh, laughing, the first time that I read in the previous edition of the United Church Manual, uh, that the session was responsible for congregational discipline. 
<laughs> like if you're not living up to your baptismal vows, the session is going to come and discipline you. I'm not exactly sure what the consequences were. I say double your offering for this week. <laughs> That's my vote. But you know, it's like it's nearly impossible to hold people to account if the default assumption is if I don't like what's going on here, I can just go somewhere else. <laughs> right? You all pass lots of churches to get here. There's always somewhere else to go. And that by far is the most common experience of how I've experienced conflicts dealt with in the church. You know, interestingly, as far as I can tell, and Doug, you can correct me, but as far as I can tell, uh, the new manual doesn't say anything about congregational discipline. And I said one of my, one of my or some of my most profound experiences of depth and renewal of significant moments of possibility have come when people have been willing to enter into that sometimes tense space of mutual accountability, of vulnerability, of commitment to the fact that how we are is not just about us. You know, my strongest and most cherished relationships are the ones where we trust each other enough to tell each other the truth in love and to hear it. You know, the, the times when I've been hurt the most are when I or someone else has failed to do that. I love the language that Jesus uses. You know, this isn't just about correcting someone. It's about regaining them. <laughs> this is not vindictiveness or exercising moral authority or wielding power to, to change someone. It's about love. It's about risking life in response to the beautiful fact that the person in front of you is a blessed miracle made in the image of God. Someone Jesus would die for and he's got the scars to prove it. That's why the stakes are so high. We're not just individuals of our own creation. We are the living material out of which Jesus is building his kingdom. An extraordinary body being stitched together for the sake of the world. So how we are in the world and how we are with each other matters in ways and degrees that we can't even wrap our heads around. Like your life really matters. <laughs> I think it's significant that there are these kind of concentric circles of accountability in Jesus' vision of the church. It's a reminder baked into the DNA of Jesus' communities that our togetherness is more important than our individuality. And that can sound awfully dangerous, I admit. That's going to make some of us cringe. Because it's easily manipulated, right? I have known people who were run out of churches for not conforming to some sort of cultural norm. I've known people who suffered under the weight of other people's expectations and requirements. This is not that. I think it's also true that those quickest to uh, correct others tend to be the slowest to listen to their own correction. But please don't mishear me. This only works if we keep our eyes on Jesus. Remembering that we are a community shaped in the way of the one who is willing to give everything for love's sake. We are formed in the shadow of the cross. This only works if we're committed to the fact that the church is meant for a mutual flourishing, for life and life to the full. 
And even when we get to the end of Jesus' teachings, even if we, we get to that point where all we can do now is, is uh, regard that other person as a Gentile and a tax collector, two of the most reprehensible groups of people for the first folks that Jesus was talking to, even when we get there, we would do well to remember that Jesus seems to have a thing for Gentiles and tax collectors. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Like he's ready to die for them too. I mean, the deeply uncomfortable truth always and everywhere, is that the person that you're mad at is someone willing, Jesus is willing to die for. That's the spirit in which we're called to live and move and have our being. That's the way of resurrection. That's the way of God's coming kingdom. That's why regaining our siblings in Christ is so important, because our highest calling is to live out of the God-bearing image in which we and they are created. It's to bear the image of Christ in the world. You know, I think it's telling that this, this teaching ends with this kind of communal momentum, right? With Jesus right at the center of life together. And perhaps what ought to inspire us to the hard work of God-shaped relationships is that Jesus is in on it with us. He's standing with us, maybe between us and that other person. Right? He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't done already. He's not sitting on the sidelines waiting to see how this plays out. He's not staying at a safe and heavenly distance. He is getting his hands dirty in this work. Ours is a hope with calluses. Good news with calluses. This is not a utopian vision. It is a possibility meant to be lived. I am absolutely convinced that U Hill is meant to be a colony of heaven on the campus of UBC with ambassadors and agents all over the place. And so in the spirit of our Back to Basics series, here's some homework. <laughs> the first option is to connect with someone in the congregation this week. If you don't know anybody, I would love to connect with you. If you don't want to connect with me, I would love to connect you to someone else. You know, make a phone call, go on a walk, have a coffee. It doesn't have to be someone who wronged you. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. Because if we'll do the things that we're called to, if we'll have that kind of mutuality and vulnerability, it's easier to do if we practice that when it's easy. Right? Build up the relationships so that when things go sideways, because things are going to go sideways, then we're able to speak the truth in love. So that's one option. You don't actually have to pick. In both. The other would be to meditate on Acts 2. Like, what kind of dream is God calling this community to in this season? What sort of wildness? Look around at all, all that we have sitting in this very room. Imagine yourself as part of that wild community of transformation, of awe and wonder, of hope. What does it mean that we are being saved? Not just in a distant spiritual sense, but here and now in the company of Jesus, who was dead and is alive and is making all things, even us. Maybe so.